Yeah, I know it's still February, but good morning. Jeez, man. Um, I hope the groundhog didn't see a shadow. Or how's that work? So I don't know, but I hope winter's almost over. Um, I, real quick, um, I, many of you know I coached uh, basketball this year, as did Tyler. Uh, we coached, uh, I coached seventh grade and eighth grade. Tyler sure helped me out a lot. And uh, I, real quick, I just want to announce I got a couple of my players here today that I invited. And um, I'd like those guys, if you would, just stand up real quick. Um, they're in eighth grade, and it's going to be super awkward for them. But, um, yeah, give these guys a round of applause. They brought, they brought their mom. You go ahead and sit down. They brought their mom and dad today. Yeah, Larry, I coach ball, man. Look, I know. Look at here. Crossover, little Tim Hardaway. I know. Um, I was watching highlights yesterday, and uh, I saw the 90s, like, where they had these Michael Jordan highlights. And I watched those yesterday, and I thought to myself, man, it ain't even a conversation about LeBron. You know what I'm saying? I mean, can I get a witness? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, when you see him do a spin move and dunk on John Starks against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden, I mean, come on, right? LeBron couldn't do that on his best day, right? Huh? Yeah, I know, right. He did his own thing, right? So he's not flopping around on teams. But anyways, I got to get into the word because we'll be here all day. Jeez. <laughs> all the women are just like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm worried about crafting this afternoon, you know. And so I'm just kidding. That's a stereotype. My wife played basketball in college. Everybody chill, you know. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and, and Mike, Pastor Mike said today, and by the way, that's cool, that 80-year-old dude helped you out yesterday. <laughs> that is awesome. And so, <laughs> just, oh, I'm having fun with that this week. And so, <laughs> man, the kingdom makers. And um, one of the things that we find in, in God's kingdom is things are upside down. In many ways, in the kingdom of God, things are a bit inverted, and if you think about it, when Jesus came, some of the things that he taught were a little bit awkward and somewhat absurd, right? And so, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in verse number 1, you see in the first verse there, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain when he sat down, and his disciples came unto him. And so, in this moment, Jesus is um, preparing to launch his public ministry. And what he does is he brings those who are followers of him aside to teach them, in a, in a sense, the keys to the kingdom of God. And what he's teaching them, and in the passages that we're going to read over the next seven weeks, as Mike mentioned this morning, Pastor Mike did, he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, over and over again. And ultimately, the word blessed means prosperous, successful, and happy. Now, when we read through these passages, and we read through the blessed are's of the Beatitudes, you're going to find some things that are somewhat awkward, some things that are absurd, and some things that go against the current culture of the day. But I want you to understand, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's speaking of two things. One, a future kingdom where Christ rules. The Bible says in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means that Jesus Christ is is and was and will always be the sovereign ruler over all things. One day, one day probably sooner than we think, Donald Trump, Saddam Hussein, uh, you know, all the dictators, Hitler, all of them, one day all of them will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He's the one who is ultimately in control. In fact, in Proverbs, the Bible says, the hand of the heart, or the, the, the heart 
of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it whithersoever he will. So for me, I know how I vote, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm not so worried about whether there's a Republican or a Democrat uh, in the White House because I know that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over all things. So, one, he's talking about a future kingdom where he rules, but what he's talking about and what we can glean from these passages that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks is this, is that Jesus is talking about the kingdom that he wants to build into the lives of his followers today. Essentially, what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture is becoming the person that Christ called you to be. Now, when we think about that, and we certainly, when we look at this passage of Scripture, there's some things in this text that you're like, really, Jesus? Like, I'm going to be honest. If I was one of the disciples, and I'm on the hillside, and I'm listening to Christ talk, I'm going to be like, for real? You want me to be poor in spirit? You want me to mourn? You want me to, you know, do this and this and this? And ultimately, Jesus is turning everything upside down and saying, look, if you want a life that's blessed, if you want a life that's truly prosperous, if you want a life that's successful, not just in this life, but in the life to come, here's how you go about doing that. You see, in God's kingdom, kingdom makers are the ones who are blessed. Kingdom makers are the ones who are successful and prosperous, and they are so when the character of Christ is developed in their lives. Now, in the kingdom of God, it is a radical, and please note this today, it's a radical rejection of every value or point of view that keeps people in bondage to untruth, blinded to Christ's mercy. And ultimately, we live in a day where, on one hand, people say, hey, you need this to be happy, or hey, you need to become this in order to be happy, or you need to follow this, or you need that, or that, or that, or whatever. And we kind of talked about that last week, but Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, no, instead of gaining this or pursuing this or attaining this or possessing this, in order for you to be blessed, in order for you to be truly prosperous and successful in this life and in the life to come, this is the kind of person that you need to be. Now, the blessed life, the successful, prosperous life, will be determined by our willingness to impact our neighbors, our communities, and our friends with the type of life that has been transformed and touched by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of this begins with who you are. Please note this today. This is what this whole series is about. It begins with, write this down, who you are, not what you do. It begins with who you are, not what you do. The emphasis is that God blesses or Jesus blesses a life of inward character. That's what Jesus is after in this particular passage of Scripture. Jesus is more concerned about who you are rather than what you do. And so in the context or in the the understanding of the Gospels, in Jesus' day especially, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, these are the people that you would have looked at they were in church. They were giving in church. They were carrying their Bibles and doing all the things. They, they spoke Christianese. They knew the right words to say around the right people. They knew when to stand up and when to sit down. They knew when to kneel. They knew when the appropriate time was to raise their song on the right note of the song, right? And so they knew, they knew the culture of religion, but they didn't know Jesus. Now, Jesus wanted to emphasize the internal over the external. Because I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of us are good at playing the game. 
We go to church, we carry a Bible, sometimes we give a little on the offering plate, uh, we do good things for other people, and on the, on the outside, we look the part, but on the inside, our heart is far from God. Our heart doesn't truly know Jesus, and our heart hasn't truly been transformed by the good news of the gospel. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at and will get at over the next several weeks. And so what he does is he unpacks for those of us who follow him what leads to a successful and prosperous life. Now, if I were to ask you today, I'm like, hey, who wants to be successful in life? How many of you would raise your hand? Right? Like, I want some of that. Hey, who wants to be prosperous in life? Give me some. Right? How about this? I want to be joyful and I want to be blessed. Over here. Because I'm looking at some of you today, you just look like you're ticked. Like, it's not March, and you know it, and it's like, it's cold out there today. Well, it is February, and we live in Chicago, right? Some of you, you know, some of you this morning, seriously, you look like you had a lemon, and you just, the whole way in today. The whole way, right? So if I'm asking, like, who wants some joy today? Sign me up for some of that. The crazy thing is, is though, we don't want the kind of joy that Jesus offers us because it's absurd and awkward, and it's... It's inverted from what the world says that we need to be happy. And I'm just going to be straight out with you. What the world offers will bring happiness, but it cannot offer us joy. In fact, Solomon was the richest man in the, uh, in the Bible, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, excluding Jesus Christ. The man had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? And concubines were just like live-ins, people he just lived with, Right? I don't know how wise that was, but the Bible tells us he was wise, right? I have one wife, and I love her dearly, but I'm going to be honest, it's all I can take. You know what I'm saying? 700? Anyway, different sermon, different conversation. The guy had everything he wanted. He wanted to be entertained, he'd bring in comedians. He wanted to build gardens, he'd bring in horticulturists. He wanted to throw a party. The dude knew how to throw parties. In fact, his parties, Ecclesiastes tells us, they were so epic, they wrote songs about his parties. Right? Have you ever been to a party that was so epic that you wrote a song about it? Like, that's legit. Right? But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, Solomon writes, he says, When I looked on all that my hands had wrought to do, on all the things that my hands had labored to do, he said, behold, all was vanity and vexation of the Spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Because later on, Solomon would write that eternity is written in our hearts. And what he was saying was, was that we were built for more. We were designed to desire something more transcendent, something more grand, something more eternal rather than temporal. And Solomon wrote in Proverbs that sin has its season, and it is fun for that season, but when it is over, it brings nothing but despair and depression. So, here's a guy who had everything. And if you're a wise person, you know, wise people look at the lives of others and they say, I don't need to experience that in order to understand how I'm going to live my life, right? There's two types of people, ones who go through it, right? And the other who watch others go through it, and they learn from their mistakes. Unfortunately, all of us in this room have a tendency to be tempted to think that we're going to be the exception to the rule. I'm just going to live this way, and I'm going to ignore God, and I'm going to ignore what God has said in His Word. And when we do, we forfeit 
what God's true design is for our lives. And that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 5. So, ultimately, kingdom makers prioritize what God is building. Listen to this. Kingdom makers prioritize what God is building in them personally, and they pursue his mission passionately. And the byproduct of them prioritizing what God is building in them personally and prioritizing uh, the mission passionately, what happens is, is God offers them, and the byproduct of this is God offering them and giving them true prosperity. A life filled with joy. A life filled with contentment. A life filled with meaning and with purpose. Kingdom makers go against the grain. And I want to teach my kids. I want the young adults in our church and the teenagers and the students in our church to realize that you don't have to be like the world. You don't have to go after the things that the world goes after. Now, should you try to go to a great college? Yes. Should you get a job that pays well? Yes. But friends, I want to tell you, you don't need that in this life to be happy and full of joy. You don't need all of that. Go against the grain. Pursue what is absurd for the opportunity of experiencing true success and prosperity. It might sound crazy, but for those of us who follow Jesus, that's our calling. That's what God has designed us for. And so Jesus is presenting a kingdom that doesn't really fit what most people anticipated. The Jews, when Jesus came, they wanted a ruler, and they wanted a king, and someone that would overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire. That's what they wanted. And instead, what Jesus offered them was a life of being a servant. A life that would change the world from the inside out. So, what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is this. Kingdom makers live to be something, not just do something. Kingdom makers live, they want to be something. They want to be something before they do something. And that begins with an internal, an internal, internal, an internal pursuit. The life of a kingdom maker is a life of being. And I want you to get this because it, the stress is on, it's on being, it's on who you are. It's not on ruling or possessing, it's on being. And most of us, listen man, most of us want to be in charge. We want to be in charge of our spouse. We want to be in charge of our kids. My kids want to be in charge of each other. That's a constant deal right there, right? We want to be in charge at work because we work with idiots. Can I get an amen? I mean, not me, not me. I'm just saying, you guys, I work with great people. <laughs> I do. Most of them, one or two, but I ain't going to say which one. So, look, we want to be in charge. Jesus is like, don't, don't worry about being in charge. Worry about who you are. In other words, he's not after what men do. He's after who they're becoming, right? And this is so easy to forget, man. I do this all the time. And for me, it's very easy. I often forget this. I think it's more important what I do rather than who I am. And, and we get so caught up in that. That's why we get up in the morning and we forget to read the Bible. And we forget to spend time with God in prayer. And we, we forget that cultivating a character in our hearts and in our lives internally is more important than what we do. But the reality is, is that I can't be the husband or the dad or the father or the pastor or any other role that, that I've been called to until I'm first a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus pulled these men aside before he sent them out and commissioned them to do the work of God because there was something that needed to happen in them first before they could go and bless others. And so, ultimately, what it comes down to is that 
Why this is so important is this. Who you are determines what you do. That's why this is all important. This is why Jesus pulled them aside. That's why Jesus took them on their first pastoral staff retreat and said, hey, look, before you go out and start healing people, before you start going out and doing things in my name, I want you to understand who you're supposed to be in my name before you do things in my name. And the reality is is that true spirituality starts on the inside and then it touches the outside. True spirituality starts on the inside and then it touches the outside. And that's why when those of you that are new to our church, we communicate this often, is that, hey, listen, religion is what it is, but we want to point you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why we got people in our church that come from the Baptist background, the Lutherans. We got Reformed folk up in here. We got some Catholics. We got Pentecostals, some hand-raising crazies up in here. We got it all. You know why? Because we're not about religion. We're about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ and you understand who He is, and, and, and the reality is, and I told our, our, our starting point class this morning before church, listen, we all get into the kingdom the same way. We all come to Christ and, and get forgiveness of our sins the same way. And it's not through becoming a member of a church. It's not through baptism. It's not through the sacraments or through the ordinances. It's at the foot of the cross. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he sacrificed his life and he shed his blood and there is nothing good that I can do to earn or merit the favor of God. The only thing that I can do is what Jesus says in this passage of Scripture and that's to be poor in spirit. And I come to Christ as a beggar. I come to him as needy and I seek him and his forgiveness. Why does Jesus start with the poor in spirit? Well, the poor in spirit means poor. Not just not just not just poor, but it means begging poor. And it's fascinating because in our world, those who are poor have no influence, right? I mean, nobody's going to sit down and say, hey, man, you know, <coughs> I know you don't own anything and you don't have a lot in your 401k, but, you know, I, I just inherited, you know, hundred grand from my, my, my mother's estate. How should I invest this? We're not talking to that guy, right? We're, we're going to talk to Warren Buffett or we're going to go talk to people who have made money. But in the kingdom of God, this is all inverted. In fact, the Bible says in, 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 the, in God's kingdom, there, look at what he says in verse number three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those of us who are begging poor, and we go to the one who resources us, Jesus Christ, everything is at our doorstep. Everything that we need in life. And ultimately what poor in spirit means, it's a spiritual bankruptcy. And it means that man has nothing to offer God that will equal, earn, or merit his righteousness, the righteousness of God. We have nothing to bring to God. Are you guys with me today? Nothing. I mean, there's nothing good that I could do that would earn or merit God's favor in my life. And so, and I always often, I often ask people this, I'll, I'll say, you know, hey, look, some people say, well, man, that's good. I know Jesus died, but I, I think, you know, my baptism counts for something. Or, you know, I gave him the offering plate this one time. Or I joined the church. Or, you know, I, I'm faithful to going to church. And so I think some of the stuff that I do, I think that helps me out in my standing with God. I want to tell you, if there was anything that you could do to get you closer to God, then why did Jesus have to die? Are you guys with me? 
right? I mean, what a cosmic waste. I mean, if I could do something that would, would help me out in the end, right? Now, some of you would be like, man, you know, I mean, this is how some of you are. You know, we'd get to heaven, and I'd look at some of you, and I'd be like, man, I can't believe that cat got in. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you some of you. I counsel some of you. I know your stuff, right? And I'm going to tell you this. If my counselor went, and we made it in. She'd look at me and be like, whoa. And I tell this story all the time. When I go home to Florida and I tell people on the ministry, they're like, yeah, right. Like, really, what do you do? You know? Because here's the thing. We'd all compare what we've done. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's it. It's Jesus Christ on the cross, risen from the dead three days later. It's Jesus and nothing more. And so the first, the first attribute of a kingdom maker is the one who's poor in spirit. It's the prerequisite for eternal life. Nobody gets into heaven who thinks they have cause to be there. It's also the prerequisite for being a disciple. In fact, Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves uh, the crushed in spirit. Listen, man, there's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing. I mean, even if you're here today, and let's just say you're worth millions, I trust that you'll give this morning. Can I get an amen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was last month. Listen, this is a month on stewardship, right? Hey, listen, there's no such thing as a self-made man. We all get to heaven through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're drawing breath, if you have the, the physicality to do your job, listen, that was given to you by God himself. And to choose not to recognize that is the height of foolishness. And so this morning, to, to deny the reality that there's a God in heaven that sovereignly rules over all things and not to recognize the sweetness of his grace and his favor in your life, whether you truly know him intimately or you just have this abstract knowledge of him like someone would of Abe Lincoln or George Washington to not recognize that there is a God and he gave you this gift called life. Listen, is the height of foolishness. So the poor in spirit recognize, man, I'm broken and I'm undone and I'm unrighteous in the sight of God and, and I'm nothing, I'm nothing, if anything, without Jesus Christ. Nothing without him. And so there's this internal pursuit to become what God has called us to be. There's, there's this sense of, I'm not sufficient of myself. My sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ. That's the pursuit. But it's an intentional process. It's not just a pursuit. It's a process. Let's talk practicality for a minute. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what, is it, what does it mean to pursue that process and how does that kind of unfold practically in our lives? You know, one of the things that I want to say this morning about all of this, and, and specifically in these passages that we're going to look at over the next several weeks, is this. The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is a call to be distinct. And the fascinating thing is, is I grew up in a religious culture where um, distinctness was emphasized in how we externally lived and carried ourselves by how many times a week we went to church, by what we wore to church and what we wore outside of church, the music that we listened to, uh, whether we drank or not, and on and on and on and on and on we go with the list of rules, right? And in the Old Testament, there was, I don't know, about a thousand things that Jews, Jews had, to, had to assent to, 700 positive commandments, and I think, and Ben can correct me later, 
uh, maybe 300 negative things that they weren't supposed to do, just weird stuff, like things they weren't supposed to do. Some of it good, some of it bad, but they just added on to it over time. When Jesus is talking this morning about who we're supposed to be, he's not giving us a list of rules. He's giving us something to pursue internally that will fundamentally change who we are and impact what we do. You guys with me? You know, I mean, Christians should be people who are people of mercy, right? We're going to talk about that one later. We're we're supposed to be people who are pure of heart. And it's not the kind of purity that you think of in terms of sexuality, but it's the term purity as in devotion. I mean, if we as Christians became a people of mercy, think about the reality that there would be no problems in the church, amen? Some of you wouldn't be arguing with each other like you do sometimes. Or if you're a person of mercy, your marriage would be fundamentally different, right? Your kids would get along, right? If you were becoming the people that God wanted you to become. And so the distinctness is found not in what we do. The distinctness is found in who we are. It's completely different. So you live like this, and I promise you, you'll be different. In many ways, we'd have to say that Christians today have lost their distinctness. We've been shaped by the world, and we're uh, we're not talking about rules here, but a restructuring, listen, of values. Now, in a broken world, we're tempted to pursue everything but God's will. So while we're tempted to get off track, kingdom makers do a couple things. Number one, they pursue God intently. They pursue God intently. The first thing, if you want to be a kingdom maker and be poor in spirit, man, look at at God. You know, one of the things that I pray every day, and I'm, I'm not good at it, but I pray it anyways. And I pray Hebrews chapter 12. And I pray in the morning, I'll say, God, help me to lay aside every sin and the weight that would hinder me from following you. And help me to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the author and the protector of my faith. Everything about my faith begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And there's some things in my life, even right now, that I've been confronted on even recently that there's some things that I know in my heart that are sinful, and they're wrong. You're like, you sin? You better believe it. There's not a day that goes by that I don't stand in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And there's not a day that goes by that you don't stand in the need of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, I'll say, God, help me to lay aside the sin. But then I'll say, and on top of that, help me to lay aside this weight that's besetting me. It's hindering me from being all that you've called me to be. And there's one or two things right now, and I'm not going to share with you what it is, because you'll be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do that. And some of you will be like, ah, that's no big deal, you know. And, and, you know, so I'm not going to tell you what it is, all right. If you want to know afterwards, come up to me and I'll just, I'm not going to tell you. But I know i got one or two things. They're, they're besetting right now. And they're hindering me from looking at God intently and pursuing him the way that I know that I have in the past pursued him. And, 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 and they're hindering me from pursuing him right now the way that God would want me to do that. So the first thing that I need to do is look at God. I need to read his word. I heard one preacher say, you need to get off Facebook and get your face in the book. Can I get an amen, right? I'm just saying if that fits, you know. You look at Christ constantly. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus later say, on, and we're going to look at this later this year, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul talks about Christ, and he says, Listen, I determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, kingdom makers are so gripped 
by the grace of God, they passionately pursue God at all costs. And their life, like John saying with the worship team this morning, is built on the foundation of God's grace and on God's goodness. And God takes our lives. God takes our lives broken, and he builds it up with his grace for others to see. That's the testimony of a kingdom maker. But then we also purge the heart of compromises, and that's kind of what I was alluding here just a moment ago. Kingdom makers are willing to give up anything, anything. They give up anything that compromises their intensity for seeing God glorified and people brought face-to-face with the gospel. Now, how about you? What compromises your intensity? Now, that's the fascinating thing about this conversation because I'm not going to sit up here and say to you, hey, this is a sin, and and there are some things that are a sin, right? There are some things in the Word of God that are clearly defined as being wrong before God that as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, we should not do, right? Like, you shouldn't go around punching people, right? Don't get road rage and give people the, the number one sign. Don't do that, right? It's from a heart of anger. But there's some things in your life right now that potentially are hindering you from pursuing God and His best for your life and the prosperity that He has for you and not this health and wealth gospel that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be easy, you're never going to get sick, and you're going to get front row parking all the time. Okay? Every day is not a Friday. Some days are Mondays. Like some weeks are filled with Mondays. Right? But in the midst of that, we find as we pursue the kingdom, God makes every day. Now, purge your heart of compromises. And, and for some of you this morning, there are things in your life that, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are putting water on the fire of your faith. And you need to get rid of those things in your life, whatever they may be. And right now, I don't know what they are, but as I'm speaking, I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, look, you know, you spend too much time on Netflix. Or, hey, you spend too much time on social media. Or, hey, you've been spending way too much time at work. Or, hey, you know, and on and on we can go. Let the Holy Spirit make application this morning about what's compromising your, your heart. Now, kingdom makers aren't concerned with popularity or power or pleasure or possessions. You know why? Because they have purpose and they have calling. You guys with me? When you know that you've been called of God to follow Him and, and your life can be used to make a difference in the lives of your neighbors and your community. I mean, one of the reasons I, I coached basketball this year was because I wanted to get out in the community. I wanted to make a difference. And, and, and you know, hey, am I going to change the world doing that? I don't know. And one of these young men might grow up one day and, and do something that fundamentally changes history, right? But it would never happen if a person wasn't faithful to doing that small thing that God called them to do. John Foster, he's a state trooper in our church, and his um, sister-in-law, Jill, was my Sunday school teacher when I was a little kid. I was younger than Ellie, probably about four or five, uh, fourth or fifth grade. And I remember back then as a fourth grader, I said, oh, I got a cute little Sunday school teacher. Even back then, you know, I just, I love going to Sunday. She was so pretty, and, and uh, she just every week would open the Bible. And I remember right now, even as a, as a 40-year-old man, she taught us the story of David. And I remember, you know, David picked up five rocks and he took this rock and hit Goliath and knocked him off, uh, knocked him out and uh, killed him with one shot and then picked up a sword and then cut his head off. And the dude was like 9'6". He was taller than Shaquille O'Neal, right? I remember that. It's a crazy thing. You fast forward about 15 years later, 16 years later, I end up going to work for my wife, uh, my father-in-law at Sauk Trail Baptist Temple. And I walk into church one day and come to find out Jill married a guy from Chicago. 
that for several years I sat in that church, and she got to see the fruit of her labor when she was a Sunday school teacher in Winter Haven, Florida. And I can to this day remember the stories that she taught me. And so some of our Sunday school teachers and our growth group leaders are here today and say, man, what I do doesn't really make a difference, and what I do doesn't really matter. It mattered to me. Boy, it mattered to me. That, that woman took the time every week to carve out uh, time out of her schedule to learn the Word of God and to teach the Word of God to, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth grade boys. It mattered to me. Bridge your heart of compromises and recognize the purpose and the calling that you have on your life and then plead with God for help. That's what poor in spirit people do. If you want to be poor in spirit, just ask. There's one thing about a beggar, he's always asking. You ever notice that? They just ask. They don't mind a bit, man. We're in the city this week, and I mean, we're walking down Michigan Avenue, and I'm walking like right here, and this cat just keeps coming over, and I just keep stepping over here, you know? And, um, and I'm, you know, probably need to work on my generosity, I guess. You know? It was cold that day, and you know, I just wasn't in a good way, but I just, I tried to avoid it, but he didn't care. He's just going to keep following me down the street, so I gave him some money, right? And um, he just kept asking. There was no shame. There was no, there was no reticence in his asking. And I want to tell you this morning, that's the kind of people that God blesses. When we come to God and we beg, the Lord said the sinner, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went back home justified. Ask and beg, because you know what? Jesus doesn't mind you begging. Kingdom makers are beggars, but beggars in God's kingdom are blessed. You know that? Happy is the beggar in spirit. He's the one who possesses the kingdom. Why did Jesus begin with this? Because it's the bottom line. What does it mean? It means that true to, to be spiritually bankrupt, and it means to know that. Now listen, there's no, there's, no, there's no big shots in our church, and there's no peons, right? I'm your pastor, and I, I mentioned that this morning in the starting point class if you come to our church long enough, I'm probably going to offend you. I'm probably going to say something that just doesn't set right with you. If we say it in the South, something's going to get in your crawl, right? It's just going to bother you. Mike is going to say something. He's going to offend you. John's going to sing a song. And you're like, I don't like that song. And you'll probably say it just like that. Ah. You know? Ah. <laughs> we'll pray for you. <laughs> Listen. We're all, every one of us here, it doesn't matter what position you hold, we're all broken. We're all broken. There's not a single person in this room today that doesn't stand in need of the sweet grace of Jesus Christ. Not, not a one of us. Man, my wife and I, we went downtown this week, and, um, and, and I'll be honest with you, man, on Thursday and Friday this week, we just had a rough week. And, um, you know, it, we just fought for two days straight, and it was just rough. You know, and I'm just, I'm sharing that with you because, you know, sometimes you guys look at our marriage and you're like, man, that's a great marriage. Well, I mean, we have a great marriage, but sometimes she just aggravates the heck out of me, you know? And sometimes I aggravate, and sometimes I think she just wants me to go get an apartment and leave her alone for a month, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm a lot to live with. But, but that's what I'm saying. There's no one in here with a perfect marriage or the perfect family or the perfect anything. We all stand in need of Jesus Christ. And the sooner that we recognize that, the quicker we get to the place where God begins to show us what life is really all about. And that's where we find this incredible promise in the last part of this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the promise. The promise is eternal life. Jesus promises to those who follow him that they'll be given eternal life. Those who embody this message of spiritual bankruptcy and those who have truly been gripped by the grace 
of God that was freely given to them on the cross. And listen, you, you can't fake being poor in spirit. The poor in spirit recognize, listen, the poor in spirit recognize the magnitude of their sin and the immensity of God's love and grace. And you might be sitting here this morning and you're like, hey man, look, I've never killed anyone, right? I've never, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never embezzled my, like the big stuff, right? And this is how I break it down for you. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for every single sin that you and I would ever commit. Now, let's just say most of you in here today are pretty good sinners. And what I mean by that is this. Let's just say you only sin three times a day. Like I'm a, I'm a dozen at least, but let's just say you're better than the pastors. Mike's at 20, John's 35, right? But let's just say you only sin three times a day. And let's just say there's 300 days in a year. That means in the course of one year, you sin 900 times a year. Maybe you have a dirty thought, or maybe you have a hateful thought. And the, Jesus said, look, lust is like committing adultery. Having a hateful thought is like committing murder. So in your heart, you're a murderer and adulterer at best. But in the course of a year, you got approximately a thousand sins. And if you live to be 30, you're 30,000 sins. And you didn't even hit midlife yet. And so at the end of the day, we have to recognize, man, that we are a people that are broken. And the only thing that can repair what is broken in our lives is not more church, it's not more giving and generosity or, or more things. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the entrance into heaven. So you can't, you can't fake that. So at the end of the day, those of us who are poor in spirit, this idea of the magnitude of our sin and the immensity of Christ's love, it, it informs everything that we are and everything that we do. It touches our soul. So much so that there's a constant dependency on Jesus Christ and not ourselves. This is the person that God promises eternal life to. This is the person, uh, the person that is trusting in the message of Christ, a message that is truly absurd and awkward, yet he believes. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe some crazy stuff, right? I mean, seriously, to be a follower of Christ, you know what you have to believe? You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and paid for your sins, and then you have to confess him to be the Lord of your life. That sounds absurd. And then when you get into the book of Revelation, there's some crazy stuff in there. Like Jesus comes riding in with a, on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth and a tattoo on his thigh. I mean, crazy stuff, right? And yet this is the word we follow. Kingdom makers are blessed. Look at what he says in this passage. Blessed are the poor in your spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're blessed because they have a future. A real future. Because they're living for the eternal, not the temporal. And listen, that secures their joy. Man, this life sometimes, let's just be honest, it's messed up, ain't it? I know that's not good grammar, so please, school teachers, don't come up to me afterwards. But this life can sometimes be a little bit messed up. Sometimes you have a financial reversal. Sometimes your marriage is just awful. Sometimes your kids, you just want to send them to, you know, boarding school. Like you just do for, for like ever, right? Sometimes your, your boss, you just... You get why people, like, have road rage and, and want to do bad things to the people they work with. Like, you get that. You guys with me? Well, not me. <laughs> we get it, right? Kingdom makers understand that you can lose everything in this life, and that's okay 
because our future is secure. Because we've recognized that we're a broken people and we're undone and we're unrighteous in the sight of God and ours is the kingdom because Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross for us. And when you realize what is at stake, you feel secure in God's favor, nothing is going to shake your peace, joy, or purpose because our calling is found in a future sense. And we feel secure in that and we rest in that. So I want to ask you this morning, do you genuinely sense that your life is full? Full of prosperity, full of joy, full of favor and success? Maybe you've been chasing what the world has to offer. Maybe that's your story today. Man, I've been chasing after this promotion. Man, I've been chasing after this boat. I've been chasing after this house and this zip code. I've got to live here. I've got to get my kids in the school. Man, I've been chasing after uh, uh, this hobby. Or I've been chasing after I, mean, I thought, man, if I lost this weight, like I'd feel better about life. All these things I've been chasing, and is it working for you? Is your life full of joy and success and prosperity and peace? Maybe it's time this morning for you to begin to lay all that aside and just pursue Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these things can be added unto you. You know, in our text this morning, Jesus is reminding his disciples that those who follow me will be the ones who continually depend on me forever. Not just one time. Some of you this morning are Christians and you said, oh, I put my faith in Christ when I was this age or I did this or this. No, 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 no. As you've received Christ, so walk in him. Walk in that brokenness. Walk in that neediness. Walk in that beggarliness that is indicative of and characterized by those of us who follow Jesus. And when you do, you'll find favor. You'll find prosperity. You'll find joy. And you'll find success. And it'll be a joy, a peace, a prosperity, and a success that this world cannot offer. And it is a success that this world cannot take away. Now, if I could have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, How many of you would say to me today, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that heaven is my home. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins. I know that uh, I have a home in heaven, and there's no doubt in my mind. No one's looking around, but you could lift your hand and say, I know for sure that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No doubt in my mind. Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I've never come to the place in my life where I really understood what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I don't know that, that heaven is my home. Would you pray for me this morning? Just lift your hand up. No one's looking around. It's just me this morning. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Anyone else? Amen. Now, for those of you that raised your hand this morning, in a few moments we're going to have what's called an invitation. If you feel confident enough, you'd like to come down to the altar and grab me by the hand, I'd love to take a minute and show you from the Word of God how you can, how you can understand that and know that for certain. If not, I'll be at the back door after the church today, and you can grab me by the hand and say, hey, I want to know more about this. And how many of you would say to me today, hey, man, look, I've been chasing after some things that, that really are causing me to not have joy and not have peace and success in my life, and I want to just acknowledge that today. Just lift your hand. How many of you are doing that? But I'm chasing some things. I'm chasing them right now. Lift it up. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Hands all over the room. And how many of you would say to me this morning, hey, Pastor Jay, I want to be a kingdom maker. I want to live my life in God's favor. And I want his, his blessing on my life. Would you lift your hand up and let me pray with you on that, that truth today? Lift it up. Amen. Hands all over the room. Let's all stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father in heaven, thank you for the, the, the good news of the gospel. Thank you that we can find hope and joy and peace and prosperity in the good news of the gospel. And thank you, God, that it's a peace and prosperity that that cannot be shaken or taken away 
by anything that happens to us in this life. God, I pray for these that have lifted their hand today that don't know Christ, that they would get that settled today before they leave. I pray, God, for our students and our young people that are here this morning, that they would give their life afresh and anew to Jesus Christ, that they would recognize and understand that there is more to life than the way we look and the things that we own and the people that like us or know us, but it's found in Jesus Christ. God, I just pray for our church this morning that we would live out these attitudes, these characteristics in our life in such a way that our community would have to take notice that Jackson Creek is a church of people who are really different, but different in a good way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to lead us. God spoke to you this morning. Maybe he's gripped your heart with this message. If you want to come and pray this morning, you can step forward and come and pray and do that on the first note this morning.